Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. God's gift of the Holy Spirit is what gathered believers together as the Church of Jesus Christ. And even now, it creates the standard and sets the pace for us, who continue to be the Church in this time and place. Based on the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, this is the sermon entitled, A Blessed Community. Awe and wonder came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and of prayers. Well, all I've got to say to that is, wow. Friends, I love those verses, but I have to tell you that every time I read those verses, I have the same reaction. How did those disciples get from where they were to what they are in that reading today. I mean, I understand. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking a lot about who the disciples were. This rather ragtag group of fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, and, and at least one thief. Frankly, a kind of clueless bunch of believers tasked with spreading the good news to the ends of the earth. That's who they were. We've been seeing lots of evidence of, of the mistakes they made, the stumbling they did along the way. But i got to tell you, you read a verse like what KJ has shared with us today, and you realize it's just as fascinating what they became as apostles and how much they accomplished for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, despite their own particular flaws and their own quirks of personality. It's all right there, you know. It's scattered in bits and pieces throughout Scripture. Peter, we know, was bold and impetuous, uh, had a tendency uh, to uh, shooting his mouth off and, and then, not, as they say, not being able to cash the checks that his, his mouth wrote. But... John, although he was known as the beloved disciple, was known to be ambitious by nature. Apparently, he had a fiery temper as well, and he could be rather intolerant of things. Jesus himself gave John the nickname, get this, the Son of Thunder. I'll let your imagination describe where that came from. Thomas was, of course, the resident doubter, doubting Thomas, and he was often bewildered as to what was going on. Philip was considered to possess both a warm heart and a pessimistic head. And Simon the Zealot, along with Jude, were more than likely Jewish nationalists, those who believed that world power and domination by God's chosen people was only going to come about by violent needs. And then there was Matthias, who wasn't even part of the original 12, but was voted in as a replacement for Judas after he took his own life in those hours before the crucifixion. 
So all of these apostles and, and the others as well, they'd all had at least one thing in common. They'd left everything to follow Jesus three years before. They'd all gone into hiding after he was hung on the cross. And even in the days after the resurrection, they were all still at least a little bit uncertain as to what was going to happen next. But here they were now at the center of a movement unlike anything anyone had seen before. All who believed, Acts tells us, were together and all things in common were told. They, they sold their possessions and their goods they, they, and then they took that money and they gave it to the poor and scripture tells us that not only was there a daily discipline of worship at the temple, they also shared meals together. And every meal was a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God in the midst of it. And what's more, they had the goodwill of the people. Pretty interesting when you think about that. When you consider this was the crowd that called for Christ's com uh, uh, crucifixion, this was the crowd that, that wanted to you know, kind of hunt down the rest of his followers, now they had the goodwill of the people. And day by day, the book of Acts lets us know, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So what that means is it's not just the, the, the original love and Matthias now, it's growing. That day of Pentecost, the movement of the Spirit, Peter's preaching, on the fly there, all of that, the prayer, the discipline, the worship, the celebration, their numbers were growing. I got to say it again. Wow. Understand, friends, that, you know, there's just a, five verses we've shared today, but it is not merely a historical footnote to the Gospels. Scripturally speaking, this handful of verses represents the place where the Christian church begins. It's one of our very first evocations that the church as Christ's establishment is not a place or a building or an organization in the first instance, but a people. In the Greek, the ecclesia, the called out people of God. It's what Christian writer and pastor Gilbert Belazikian calls God's ultimate achievement, a biblically functioning community, a center of warm, pulsating, effervescent, outreaching Christian love, a place with all of its components united to become a force in the world rather than a farce. And got to add here, it's what creates the standard. It's what sets the pace for us who continue to be the church in this time and place. And yes, that includes you and me who make up this little piece of Ecclesia here on Mountain Road. This blessed community of faithful people we know as East Congregational Church. <clears throat> now, of course, full disclosure, this is not to say that we've totally fulfilled this vision of the perfect church, because we all know, most certainly in 
and a little sadly, that we have not. Although to our credit, I gotta say, we do try hard and sometimes despite our best efforts, we actually get it right. Truth be told, not saying that to be mean, but truth be told, sometimes I think that as a church, we have more in common with the before picture of the disciples than we do with the after. In that, much like the original 12, we too are this rather disparate and rather motley assortment of ordinary people who in the midst of all the joys and sorrows and challenges of daily life, we're just trying to figure out what it means to live in faith, to discover what our true purpose in living happens to be. Like those first apostles, along the way we struggle at times. Sometimes we lose ourselves in the effort to do what we think is right. Sometimes we get so busy with other things we forget what and who it was that drew us together in the first place. But what we always end up discovering is that when we're gathered together as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are a whole lot closer to where we should be than we ever are when we've been out there struggling on the journey by ourselves. So no, no, we're not perfect. But we also know that without this blessed community that is the church, we are far less than we ever could be, and certainly what we were before. In this community, friends, there is blessing. And we know there is blessing because we have experienced it. In community, you see, we are surrounded by grace. In community, we can know and be known. In community, we can love and be loved. In community, we can forgive and be forgiven. In community, we are blessed both to celebrate and to be celebrated, to be moved, to be challenged, at times to be affirmed, and in other times to be reproved, sheltered from the storm, and yet sent out into the wilderness. Like the apostles before us, day by day, we are blessed. Blessed in this place. Blessed in shared worship that is both reverent, filled with joy, and at times unpredictable. Blessed in having the burdens of life and living mutually borne by kindred hearts through common prayer and in true fellowship. Blessed in being able to be here to learn and to grow in faith in the company of others who are also trying to learn and grow and to walk in the way of the Lord. Blessed in having the opportunity to serve God by our outreach, even as there are those amongst us who by serving God are reaching out to us. You see, when we are gathered as the people of God, beloved, we are more than what we were before. 
We are people, as Acts describes it, of glad and generous hearts. People who are unabashedly alive and filled with passion. People who who have awe and curiosity and, and wonder at everything God is doing. Who dare to defy the world's standards and practices for the sake of following Jesus. That's who we are. We are the church of Jesus Christ, truly and holy, a blessed community. Of course, the ongoing question we have to ask ourselves in saying all of that is, what are we going to do about that? What are we going to continue to do about that? What are we going to do new about that? Because this blessing of which I speak is not meant to end with us. As we so often say, I often attach it to our offering, we are blessed to be a blessing in that all we've received in community is meant to be paid forward. Let me put a finer point on this. We are never meant to be a closed community against the cold, hard world out there. Nor should the blessings of our closeness be hoarded and and kept from those outside, from those who need what we have to give. William Willimon says it well when he writes that, quote, unless there's some link between our worship of God and Junior's spilt cereal at breakfast, the boring routine at the office, the monthly collection of bills, or the cancer that will not heal, Then he says, if there's no connection there, our worship is not only irrelevant to human need, but unfaithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, and truly at the close of our worship, and and when our time of fellowship together is done, all these blessings we've received in community are meant to be transformed into acts of courage and strength, that which it will take for God's creation and for us to truly one another as Christ has loved us. I say this because it does seem to me that right now as a congregation, perhaps more than ever before, we at East Church have both a great responsibility and a tremendous opportunity before us to take this abundance of blessings that are ours as a church family and extend them outward, to to do God's work of love in the world, to work for justice in these strange and confusing days so we can bring God's word of unending hope to comfort and beyond to invite the people around us and beyond to join in the blessings of community as we do. It's all about, as we so often say around here, being the church we are called to be. But keep this in mind, friends, that it requires more than simply our good feelings. To be a church requires a little bit more than just our warm sentiment. It requires our lives. 
Our blessing is to become another's blessing. And that means devoting ourselves to that which we know and believe as followers of Christ. It is to commit ourselves to grow in faith, to be persistent in prayer. It's truly to be doers of the word and not simply hearers. It's about reaching out to those in need, whatever that need, and being a beacon of light for those who have really only known darkness in their lives. It's living life. All of life. With glad and generous hearts. Praising God in what we do and in how we live as a community of faith. From the very beginning, this has been the central focus of the Christian church. It is, first and foremost, the reason we are here this morning. And all I would say to you is that as we move forward into the future as a congregation here on Mountain Road, we would do well to remember that. Because what we put out there, it matters. A number of years ago now, in the little town of Island Falls, Maine, which is uh, right near to where our camp is in Maine, there was an elderly gentleman who owned and operated a bottle redemption facility in what was uh, in located in what used to be their family's mobile gas station in town, and at the time was across the street at a lo- from a local diner. Now, now, given that we're only up there a few weeks every year, I must confess here that I never got the whole story. But, but apparently, there had been this rising conflict between the old man who ran the, the redemption shop and the proprietors of the diner across the street. And that conflict arose primarily out of parking space. We know this. Because all that summer, in the middle of the parking lot of the Redemption Center, stood this huge, handmade, handwritten, two-sided sign that had been placed right in the way of any car that attempted to get in there. And on this sign was written the following words, and I quote, Now you look! There's no parking in this lot! That's exactly the way it was written. I imagine that was the way it sounded. And I got to tell you, that summer, every time we passed, that sign made me laugh right out loud. And also every time we we saw it, all of us in our car were compelled to say the same thing. Now you look! (laughs) No packing in this yard. And let me tell you, it worked. It served its purpose, or, you know, probably more to the point, it defeated its purpose. Because in the end, no one ever parked in that lot again, either for the diner or for the redemption center across the street. You know, and I'm always looking for parables. And boy, that was one. It was a reminder to me of all the other signs we tend to put out there in our lives that, however unintentionally, tend to shut others out and end up defeating the very purposes that God intends for us. 
Sadly, as persons, as people, even as the church, sometimes all it takes is a sign, verbal or nonverbal, that tells people we're not listening, that tells people we don't care, that tells people, sorry, I don't have time for you, or sorry, can't afford it. And it ends up losing the opportunity we have been given to be a blessing, to bring some joy, to make a difference, to change a heart. This should never, ever be our sign. The sign that we proclaim as the church ought to clearly say who we are. Disciples. Disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciples who are called to welcome people into this loving and caring church family. Followers of Jesus who work hard at equipping each one with a Christ-centered faith that works in real life and in real time. A group of pretty good church people who despite their quirks, their foibles, maybe because of their quirks and foibles, are relentless in sharing God's love in compassionate service to others and who are filled with awesome wonder simply by what they and we continue to experience in the presence and power of Christ Jesus. Now, how the future unfolds, nobody knows. If anything we've learned this year, it's that, or the last couple of years. But however that future unfolds, in the kind of blessed community we are, we can be assured that day by day the Lord will add to our number those who are being saved. So might it be, beloved, so might it be. Thanks be to God. Amen. And that's the message entitled, A Blessed Community. It was recorded during our June the 19th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where, by the way, we gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, just off exit 16 on I-93. Now, if you're visiting New Hampshire this summer and looking for a place to worship on a Sunday morning, we'd love to have you join us. We are a small, mighty, and very welcoming congregation. I think you'll be glad you came. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.